Jabor, and I am a woman shepherd and part of the Chantilly Community Group. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 73 from the New Living Translation. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. The word of the Lord. Morning, morning. It's goodness. It's good to see you all. My name is Delanier. I am one of the elders here at Christ Central. I'm going old school. I got paper. Um, going old school in more than one way as we talk through this track that I've had on heavy rotation all week, that being Psalm 73. And for those of you who don't know, heavy rotation means I've been playing it a lot, listening to it a lot. Uh, all my young folk, actually, y'all already got into vinyl nowadays, so you know, right? Rotation means beats per minute uh, because of a record that's on play. So I've been playing this album a lot. I call it an album of sorts uh, because it's been getting at me. But just to let you know that if, um, you know, it's always like one of those icebreaker questions. I don't know what you think about icebreakers. But uh, 
You know, it's one of those icebreaker questions. Like, if you could have one album to listen to for the rest of your life, what would it be? Some of y'all thinking on that right now. Well, for me, it gets a little bit hard because then I start, like, sorting through my mental catalog and, you know, would it be Coltrane and Giant Steps? You know, would it be Marvin Gaye and what's going on? Like, like there's something in me that wants some of that, but I got to be real. I got I to gotta pick something that's hip-hop. It's just, it's in my DNA. It's, it's kind of like how I was raised. And uh, I remember I had a foster brother, uh, later became my adopted brother of sorts. Uh, his name's Malcolm. And I remember when he came to come live with my grandmother, and I was living with my grandparents at the time, and he said, do you know K-Day? And I was like, what? And he said, the radio station, K-Day. So this was an AM station. So this wasn't what you normally listen to. And I turned to it, played it, and it was all hip-hop all day. I was like, what's this? I was seven years old, and, you know, so I was in the Run DMC before. Um, and then I got into, like, Crush Groove and... Uh, LL blew me away, and I was like, that's my favorite rapper, that one right there. But I remember when I was like, I want to say I was, I was nine or ten years old, and my dad's sister, so my auntie's boyfriend, he had one of those boom boxes, like the big one, the big one, like the kind that you see in Crush Groove, like that type. And he put in LL's I'm Bad. And I was done, because he turned that joint up, and that thing hit real hard. I was like, woo, okay. I was 10 years old, and I was hooked on hip-hop. And uh, on that, that album, which was actually his second LP, it, it had two sides. The first side was called Bigger, and the other side was called Batter. And I was like, oh, that's creative. That's cool. Uh, you know, so... I kind of got to see how music has evolved in my young years. You know, I saw when the transition moved from record players to tapes, and then from tapes to CDs, and everybody had their holdout moments, right? Like, nah, I'm not, I'm not buying CDs, they're too expensive. And then after a while, it's like, okay, I will buy a CD, and tapes just kind of become extinct. And some of y'all looking at me like, what's a CD? Compact disc. Um, and then went from there to streaming, shout out to Napster, and all of them, y'all know those. Uh, and now we got like everything, right? We got Spotify, YouTube music, you got, man, we got too many to name, title, whatever, your preference. But um, I always play the throwbacks. That's all I listen to, just to be real. Man, I'm getting old, that's me. I'm get off my lawn do as it pertains to hip hop. And uh, LL Cool J, maybe you didn't notice, is the one who originated, I, see a, I saw a hand go up on that one. He actually coined the term goat. Y'all know that? So we talk about the goat all the time, goat this, goat that, and like hip hop has become a part of our regular vernacular. So much so that you might be a huge Lakers stan like me. Stan comes from the song Stan from Eminem, right? No cap coming from Young Thug, right? So we just kind of utilize this terminology because it's so pervasive in our culture and I'm like, you got to give credit where credit is due. But I'm going to be completely real. If you ask me one album that I have to listen to for the longest road trip ever, going back to Cali, I have to drive for three days, and if there's one album, it is not even a debate. My kids know. Yeah, you do. 
You might think it would be Prince Purple Rain. You might think it would be Michael Jackson Thriller. But the thriller of all hip-hop albums, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Yup. Y'all know. All right. I got to give her accolades, right? Because uh, actually, just uh, a few days ago, it marked, what, what was it, the 24th anniversary since that album dropped? And I'm like, I will still put it up against any album today. Fight me. Okay. Um, Lauren Hill's Miseducation is a musical masterpiece, in my opinion. She was the youngest female of an all-male group. She was the sole non-refugee of part of a group called the Fugees, right? But when she dropped that independent album, she was counterculture, anti-misogyny, anti-materialism, and everything momentary or minuscule. She openly spoke about her faith, motherhood, and the intersectionality of being a black female in hip-hop. She was political and poetic. Every verse from the, in every verse was a burst from the past to the present to the present progressive. This album, y'all, was nine times nominated for Grammys, and she won five. It was the first hip-hop album ever to win Album of the Year. She's the epitome of black girl magic. She's Nina Simone meets Maya Angelou, gospel and graffiti art. She recorded the majority of this album, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, while pregnant, lying on her back, giving birth to one of the greatest albums of all time. And if you're not really into rap, but you just really love amazing instrumentals and soaring vocals, I challenge you to listen to the song Zion. It may even lead you to worship as you catch the double entendre. She's in my top five dead or alive, even though she only produced one single studio album. The miseducation of Lauryn Hill is concerned with this topic of love. If you've heard the album and you check the intro, it's, there's a class going on and there's a discussion, a discussion that doesn't normally happen in classrooms. It's just real talk. And we're going to talk about love. And Lauryn was absent for that conversation. So she had to learn about it on her own. But this track that we are digging into, Psalm 73, the miseducation of Asaph is all about the topic of justice. Asaph was attributed to 12 of the Psalms, and where Job, as you may know, is concerned mainly with why do bad things happen to good people, Asaph is concerned with why do good things happen to bad people. Where Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that striving for wealth and pleasure is all meaningless, Asaph implies that striving for holiness is just as useless. If both the wicked and the just are all just headed to the grave, why pursue holiness at all? Asaph gives us a short narrative in the beginning, much like Lauren does with her intro, right? This gives you a little bit of something to listen to before the beat kicks in, and it goes something like this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. Then the beat drops. 
This is a holy lament. Not holy because everything Asaph says in the beginning of this chapter is correct, but because this is a conversation between a relationship between a son and his holy father. Asaph says, you know what, y'all? I envied the proud. Not because they were proud per se, but because he sees them prospering despite their wickedness. They cheat the system. They benefit from the very things that he, a believer, was told not to engage in. They have wealth, health, and happiness, and they experience all these things as a result of living greedy and ruthless and selfish lives. And Asaph is starting to question, is all of this, this God thing, a lie? On this side of the album, the Asaph side, everything he sees is painful and problematic. He says in verses 11 and 12, does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while the riches multiply. He's looking at all of it, and he's asking, have I kept my heart pure in vain? I would dare to say that he is comparing his circumstances and asking if God is even real at all. I believe this is why he gave us the intro, to give us a foreshadow, let y'all know, yo, I'm not blaspheming. I'm just letting you know how far I, how far I almost fell. This is how close I was. Not an infidel, but yo, I was close. We live in a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poor, where the people of God suffer the consequences of not cutting corners, not going with the flow, getting demoted for showing integrity, getting fired for pointing out unethical practices, getting pushed out for pointing out injustice. Because this is how wealth is attained and maintained in our world. It's a cold, cold world. You either roll with them or roll up under them. We live in a world where the, keep, where the corrupt just keep on profiting. And Christ followers keep looking pitiful. Verses 1 through 16, if you listen to this track, it's all about pain and all the problems of this world. But here's a question for you all. What pains you and why? I see the prosperity of corrupt politicians, government officials, corporations, slumlords, tax evaders, etc. Admittedly, as I get older, I look less at the small-time criminal, just to be real. I just look less at them. I look less at the petty criminal, the gang member, uh, those who are involved in what we would normally refer to as street crime, because they're just small-time hustlers. I look at things as a whole and see them as just scrambling for scraps. I ask, who's depressed this entire community? I think, what about white-collar crime? or even worse, corporate activities, corporate activities that are totally legal? Who's responsible, to, who's responsible for predatory loans, housing inequality, educational disparity, rising medical costs? I don't just get mad about the price of gas at the pump. 
I get mad that Exxon made billions of dollars last year. But they can't sacrifice a little for the survival of many? You see, individuals make up institutions, and institutions set up systems, and systems create and maintain systemic inequities, such as sexism, racism, and more. Consider the fact that we have a clothing line called Banana Republic, or, or sports teams that use images of Native Americans as mascots, or public schools that serve mostly black and, black and brown students named after Confederate generals. As a sociologist, I've been trained to look at systems and institutions, and at the tip of all of them are a few elite jockeying for the most money and power and significance. If you have never felt moral outrage about injustice, inequity, and economic disparity, and how it has contributed to the social, economic, and health issues that plague us, I invite you to sit with the words of Asaph. It is holy to be outraged about social corruption. This is not where he almost slipped, y'all. He almost slipped by thinking that God is not concerned about it. This is how I feel often, like Asaph, who didn't give a sliver of doubt or benefit of doubt to these people. He didn't call them ignorant. He called them arrogant. He didn't call them wavering. He called them wicked. And he came very close to cursing God for the injustice of it all. He pointed the finger at them. But then something funny happened. He started to point the finger at himself. Because Asaph, to be real, is a lot like many of us. We not only despise them, we envy them. He began to become angry at God. Because it seems like this whole God thing and following after him and his righteousness, like we were just sold a bill of goods. I want to be able to go to the moon on my billions of dollars. I want to name my kids weird nature names. <laughs> I want to set up trust funds and have them set up for life. I want to be able to make money that makes money. I want the news to carry a headline that I made a bad financial decision that cost me millions, and it didn't even put a dent in my net worth. Their figures are flawless, he says, and they're considered royalty by our society. They are fat because they are wealthy and have everything, it seems. They are celebrities men and women who have multiple children and run private businesses, own fashion lines, and release new movies and music. They get exposed for their exploitive practices, for plagiarisms, for owning and operating sweatshops, for all of those things, but still continue to make profits in the millions forgiven at the next tweet while paying the minimum in taxes and sheltering their wealth at the same islands they name after themselves. They thank God at the award shows, at the closed door ceremonies, at the contract signings, at their promotion parties, at glamorous galas and interviews, those exclusives, they all give glory to God. All the while they curse him with their actions and mock him literally in their lyrics and figuratively in their felonious actions. Asaph is my kind of dude. And this psalm, 
This song is a track that I play on repeat. This is me playing Machiavelli when my boss starts to do me wrong. He's my kind of dude because he's a lot like me. He both despises and envies what the wealthy and ruthless have. He hates that they live seemingly happy and healthy lives with no regard to the people that are silent, suppressed, or sacrificed for them and because of them. All the while, we look like fools praying to God that's going to one day save us, one day come for the sky and carry us home. We remain meek, humble, weak in the world's eyes. What's all this for? Again, like Solomon said, it just seems all meaningless, all foolishness. If it's not real, if this Christian thing is not real, listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. That's real talk. It's just pain upon pain for us, pleasure and prosperity for them. All they do is win, 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 no matter what. And all we do is lose, lose, lose. We believe, or we start to ask the question, why believe in God anyway? What is it to all of this? Why withhold from pleasure and all of this stuff if pleasing him is just going to lead to pain? Asaph writes like a true lyricist, aware of contradictions in his penmanship, when he said, if I said all these things, I would have betrayed your people, knowing he just said it, but he didn't stop there. There's no chorus, no hook, just a simple beat change if you read along with it. Kind of like Kendrick Lamar does, a change in voice, a lowering of tone, a subtle transition from the first verse that was frantic and higher pitch to a more mature perspective. That's where we go. Y'all know that um, in albums, the A side is oftentimes put together by the record execs because they're looking for, out of this collection of songs, which ones can be the hits? Which ones can be put on heavy rotation, on radio stations, put on your Spotify playlist and played over and over again? But it's typically the B side that the artist has the opportunity to flex his or her true artistic talent. It's where there's oftentimes no expectations attached. They are songs not made for the radio. It's Father Forgive Them. It's Used to Love Them. It's the mes miseducation of Lauryn Hill. The album Miseducation of Lauryn Hill was a hat tip to the book of a collection of speeches by Carter G. Woodson, The Miseducation of the Negro. And without spoiling it, because I think it is recommended reading for anyone involved in civic engagement, education, and economics, he makes one major point, and he, he comes back to it several times. He says, if you can control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. If we think wrongly or incompletely, then we make incompetent decisions that lead to our own self-destruction. In so many ways, this is the thesis of Miss Hill's album. If she believed what others said about her, she would have never made it on her own. If she had just listened to her head 
and not her heart, then baby Zion wouldn't have been born. If she had just made music that flashed cash and pretended to be a superstar, she would have become just like the rest, a stupid star. They hail you and nail you, no matter who you are. Y'all know that one. One of my favorite verses comes from the song Final Hour. She says, but I remain calm reading the 73rd Psalm because with all this going on, I got the world in my palm. You can get the money. You can get the power. But keep your eyes on. So what's up? <laughs> all right, keep your eyes on the final hour. Verses 17 and on, you catch this proverbial switch. You can flip to the other side of the psalmatic tape, and you notice a different vibe. Your translation may say, but, or when, or until, or then. Either way, you need to notice a transition begins right here. More than a simple turn of phrase, this is a metaphor metaphorical turn of the page, moving one's gaze from the here and now to Elohim and his vows. Asaph's perspective is shifted much like Job was when the Almighty decided to shame him with simple reminders of his dominance over time and space and all of creation for always. We're not talking about Kobe, LBJ, or MJ. Not LL, Pac, Biggie, L Boogie, Hova, K Dot, or Drake. We're talking about the real greatest of all time. We're talking about Jehovah. While others are thinking about hanging banners, stocking, stacking their wealth, and driving fancy cars, he's the one that created the skies, separated the moon from the stars, and hung them. His glory is so high and his majesty so fly, all of his kids live in mansions. While the wealthy of this world build lavish homes and have cobblestone in their driveways and lay their flooring with the finest of marble and tile, his pavement is made of gold. This same God who is high and lifted up wants to remind us that corrupt kings and self-proclaimed queens and systems and policies and powers and principalities will all face not only the grave, but his severe wrath. When Moses asked God to show him his glory, we often think of the image of God passing by and the physical sight of him being so bright that Moses couldn't take it. We forget what Exodus 34 says, that he passed by declaring his glory. He sang his own praise. He tooted his own horn. He marched to the beat of his own drum like 808s rumbling, like syncopated hi-hats, like tone in perfect pitch with no auto-tune. This is no cap, real rap. The God, God said, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We hold these truths as his children, hoping for his compassion, begging for his forgiveness and his favor to fall upon us because we all recognize our shortcomings and propensity to wander. But like so many familiar passages, we forget to keep reading. He continues with, I do not excuse the guilty. He is the true judge who will deal with every form of corruption, such as the police officer that profiles, pulls over and 
punches and pummels the people that they're supposed to protect and serve, the DA that, prose that prosecutes with prejudice, the biased judge that doles out the harshest of punishments to people that look like me, to the private corporation that owns the jails and profits per prisoner, and the lobbyist that pays the politicians to keep the whole pipeline running smoothly via policy. When, when tempted to think that, dot, that God doesn't care about justice, let me say that again, when we are tempted to think that God doesn't care about justice, read James 5, 1 through 4. Look here, you rich people. Weep and mourn with anguish because all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Just in case you were thinking, is it just evil to have wealth and riches? Keep listening. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those whose harvest your fields you have, that have reached now the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. He's concerned with injustice. In Asaph's former narrow perspective, he complained that acknowledging God's preeminence was problematic because all that piety made him and other followers just look weak and foolish. But then he had this change of perspective when he entered the house of God. How were your eyes lifted from seeing who and what was a cross from you in order to look up and see the cross that was made a propitiation for you? Who reminded you that his promises not only carry you out of judgment against, but also carry out judgment against all that raise themselves above their creaturely status, who boast and brag and pay no homage to his honor? Was it the Holy Spirit that quickened your heart as his word reminded you that you were rescued from their imminent doom? Was it the prayers and the counsel of a parent or confidant who cried with you, shared with you, whose mere presence preserved you and remind you that you not only will persevere, but to patiently await his actions, which is sure to come. It's like God with one arm holding you with his love, giving you his shoulder to cry on, and with the other beating down all the bullies and smashing every idol that not only did every person bow down to, but those that fashioned themselves into one. Maybe it was when you reluctantly came to church this morning, when you brought your skepticism, disappointment, angry dissonance into the sanctuary of God, and God sucked you in by a song. The gathering of God's people reminded you of his goodness. The public reading of the word renewed your hope that his word is bond. The exposition of this text maybe exposed your limited thinking and removed the doubt. And when the doubt returns, because it will, enter back into his presence by the many means he has provided to recognize his providence, his purpose for you, and the final judgment against all that threaten his throne. The B-side, Bethel.
means the house of God. His holiness holds the promise that his adopted ones will not only have their hopes fulfilled by having all of their tears wiped away, but that the perpetuators of their pain, of the many world problems that exist today, will face the wrath that they so justly deserve. Listen to the song that was sung out in Revelation 6, verse 10. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? It's an, it's an ironic thing to notice that Asaph broke into praise because he thought about the fact that the lake of fire is hot for those that have made this life a living hell for those that await heaven. The result of being near to God, to receive his correction, and to receive correct perspective is to be uncontainable. Like the prophet Jeremiah, he described it as a fire shut up in his bones. Both the promise of eternal protection and provision for his people as well as the eternal judgment and destruction for those that cause the suffering during this temporary and momentary portion of our existence. Both of these realities should cause you to praise. We praise God because he is near enough to give us protection and comfort in our current trials. We also praise him because his physical return is near. Our heavenly residency is nearer than we think. This is not the end. As the book of Hebrews says, here we have no lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. And this is how the 73rd Psalm ends, with the reminder that this is not the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you don't just curse us and crush us when we bring our rants and our rails against you. Instead, you patiently listen to us like whining children as those who forget of your sovereignty and the fact of eternity. And you call us gently back into the perspective of your preeminence in all things and heaven that awaits us and judgment that awaits those that don't come to your throne and ask for grace. Thank you for being king and Lord, despite everything that's happening around us, including our waywardness and our false and helpless thinking at times. Thank you for calling us your own and calling us to your throne and calling us to praise you. It's in Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.